You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Today's reading comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he lay down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we love you, and we worship you, and we praise you. Um, We gather to sing, we gather to listen, um, we gather to sit under your sovereign word um, that we might display uh, your goodness and greatness to each other, um, that we might be reminded of your kindness and your love towards us, and that we might be a lost and dying world, your goodness and your kindness. Would you help us? This evening, continue in worship as we listen to the preaching of your word. Would you help us to know you more fully? Would you help us to love each other? And would you help that love to abound uh, to a lost and dying world? We love you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome and good afternoon. Nathan's been talking about it every week, but it's lighter. And when you're on the stage, you really notice that. I'm so thankful to have the light from outside coming in. Um, I'm so thankful and encouraged that you have joined us today. My name's Kyle. I am an elder here at Christ Church, and it is my joy to, to preach the word today. And you just heard it read that we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. We love the church. We love each other. I try to take advantage of every opportunity I get to show you that I love you, Um, and I want to take every advantage I get to tell you that I love you. I love you. I'm so grateful to be here today. I'm so grateful that this room is filled with family. Um, And if you're not family, if you're visiting, if you don't know me, I would love to get to know you. After the service, I'm going to be standing up here. Um, Just come and introduce yourself. If you're visiting with us today, uh, thank you for being here. So glad that you are here. Jesus said that the world would know us by the way that we love one another, how we understand that the concept of love is of eternal importance for those of us who are gathered here today and those who are currently living in opposition to God and all around the world. It's a matter of life and death. Love is a matter of life and death, not only of the physical sense, 
but especially of the spiritual sense. But this is the very beginning of the sermon, so I need to lighten up a little bit. <laughs> Love's funny. Uh, it's an interesting thing. This week, I genuinely looked my wife in the eyes and told her that I loved her. And this week, I genuinely looked Eric Layer in the eyes and told him I love bacon. And so I'm just like thinking about love. This week, I tucked my kids into bed. I, you know, they're, they're cozy. We have our you know, special goofy games that we play when we're going to sleep. And I just told my kids, I love you. And then I expressed my love for my couch as I sat down on it and reclined. I love this couch. Like, love's funny. And the way we use that word is funny. Um, now, to be fair, we all know that there are different types of love and different ways to express love, both in the Bible and both in our own personal lives. But I'm afraid that the lack of attention to detail in this area, this concept of love, is wreaking havoc on the world and on us as followers of Jesus. God is love. Okay, the Bible says that. God is love. John will say that clearly next week. Nathan will teach us uh, through that chapter, but he is laying the groundwork. John is laying the groundwork for that uh, text next week, this evening. When you go from God is love to love is love, the only next logical step is love is God. That might sound like a good thing to many. Why not let love be the God of your life? Why not let everyone decide what love is themselves? If, if it makes you feel good, it must be love. But the problem with that train of thought is that murdering Abel made Cain feel good. When love becomes God, our sinful desires rule and reign like tyrant kings who are greedy for gain at the expense of those that they are supposed to be protecting and serving. Cain, in a sense, was acting out of misdirected love and the fruit of that pursuit was death. See, love is of utmost importance, but left in the hands of humanity, apart from the work of Jesus on the cross, it turns into hate very quickly. So speaking of hate, some of you are really, really going to hate this. Uh, some of you are going to love this. The rest of you are just going to roll your eyes and say, move on. But I've titled this message, Love-Hate Relationship. Um, and the reason I've done that is because that's my point. That's what I think the text is kind of leading us, the idea of love, the idea of hate, and then the idea of how we then relate to each other as a church, to God, and then to the world. And so that's how we're going to think through our text this evening, through three points, love, hate, and relationship. But before we can do that, we need to remind, we need to be reminded of where we are in this book and why John is writing this section. It's really kind of a hinge point in the book of 1 John where we're at right now. So we are moving from the primary word picture of light and dark. We heard it at the beginning of the book, God is light. We're moving from light and dark to now the word picture of love and hate. And that's going to culminate next week when, um, when God is said to be love. We have heard that God is light. Next week, we hear that God is love. The message of 1 John is not changing, but the method that John is using to uh, convey that message is changing a little bit. God is the source of true light in the world. We've been talking about that. If we want to see anything rightly, if we want to walk in the light, we must be in the light, not near the light, but in the light because God is light. That's what we've been talking through. God is the true source of love in this world. That's what we're going to talk about now. If we want to, be, to love anything rightly, we must be completely dependent on him, abiding in his love, not near his love, but in his love, because God is love. Both of these realities 
in the light living and obeying God and the true selfless act of loving God and others do not come naturally to humanity. We must, they must be produced in us by the Holy Spirit like we just sang and even like we as mentioned in verse 24. I love John. Light, dark, love, hate. It's so nice. It's so convenient. Even though this is, this book is a mess. Like when you're trying to teach it, this book is a mess. One thing that it does not lack is clarity. So let's enjoy some of that clarity now by discussing love and hate, and then we'll end with discussing our relationship. So First John, our text this evening starts with this. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We've heard this message a few times in John. He just keeps repeating it. We've heard this message from the beginning. We should rightly, it should be understood as the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've heard what you were told at the very beginning that Jesus is who he says he is and you should cling to that message. John is reminding this group of believers that they should not forsake the gospel that they had received. Right, Nathan preached on that. They should not be like those people who went out from the church proving that they were not of the church leaving the body of Christ and walking away from Jesus is darkness. It is hatred of God. It reveals you never loved God, so the church should cling closely to the gospel. We, as a group of followers here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, must cling closely to the gospel. But John does something unique here. He does something a little different because he actually takes us all the way back to the beginning when he mentions and references Cain. Right? And so when John says, it's, it's the message you've heard from the beginning, but then he starts talking about Cain, our minds and brains should start ticking a little bit and say, wasn't Cain like at the very beginning in like Genesis chapter four? I think this is actually the only real reference of the Old Testament in this book. Um, and so I think it's, it's important that we kind of look and think through that. He takes us all the way back to Genesis four. And so the use of the word beginning here should take our minds back to the message that we have heard since the beginning. Namely, I believe that message to be love God and love people. That's how our text is going to end, love Jesus, trust in Jesus, and love each other. But the garden operated under these commands, and the fall ruined these commands. Relationship with God was broken the moment that Adam and Eve sinned. Relationship with man was broken. Relationship with family was broken, and that was highlighted in the first older brother killing his younger brother. That's why John has called uh, this commandment both an old commandment and a new commandment. That's in chapter two. He says it's old because God has always expected his people to love him and to love each other. But it's new because Jesus has made it new. God is love. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus is love, and that love has been nailed to the cross. This commandment is not new because God decided today that we should, you know, just start loving one another. It's new because Jesus did not stay dead. He's alive. He's resurrected. And he has given us a new commandment, a new covenant, a better covenant that's based on his broken body and his poured out blood. The love that we now have uh, is new to humanity. It does not come from us. The command to love can only be given to the church because we are a body comprised of new life that flows from the death of Jesus. Just look at it. So look at verse 13, if your Bibles are opened. In chapter three, it says, do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
Our love for each other in this room is a resurrection love. It's a new love. It is a love that springs forth from new life. It's not available to the world. And that's why the scriptures time and time again command us to love one another. If we don't, apart from obviously the the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit, if we don't love one another, the world will never see this type of love. The world is marked by darkness, but it doesn't know it. It's so sad. It hates and it calls it love. It is lost and it is confused. And that is why the church has been placed here by God. To display his manifold glory and wisdom to a world that would otherwise ignore him and live as if they were God themselves. It's, it's, it's peculiar. It's peculiar. Like, I desire to glorify God. You want to glorify God? You want to make much of his name? You desire to manifest his love to a lost and dying world? Then it starts here. Like, in this gathering, this Sunday at 4.05, right now, take a second to look around. It's weird. I'm going to make you do it. Look around. Look at the people in front of you, beside you. Like, these are the people that we are called to love. This is God's sovereign plan to display his love to Albuquerque, New Mexico, you and me. Verse 16 says, by this we know the love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We know love by looking at the cross. Christian love, that's the definition of love that we're going to go off of. It's just verse 16. It's plain and simple. The Christian definition of love, it's an others-focused love. The only way we understand it is through the self-sacrificing love of Jesus dying on our behalf. If he never did that, we would be just like the rest of the world, walking in darkness, thinking we we see clearly hating and calling it love. But we're not like the world. We're here. We've tasted and we've seen the beauty of Jesus. Our hearts and affections have been made new. We have been loved and are now enabled by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to love like he loves. And who does John say our newfound love should be focused on? I think it's, I I just, it blows my mind every time I read the New Testament and through things like this. It says that our, our newfound love should be focused on our brothers and sisters in Christ. The church. This gathering, those who Jesus died for and loves with an eternal life-giving love. Like my first inclination is to think, yeah, the world. Like this love should overflow immediately from us to a lost and dying world, but that's not what's here. John commands us to love each other. You might hear this and think, ah, he must not care about God's heart for the nations. John or Kyle maybe or the lost in the city But honestly, it is because I long to see the lost saved that I point these things out in God's word. You can't give the world what you yourself have not received. You cannot help experience something that you have never experienced. You cannot plant a church that loves if you have never been in a church that loves this way like John's commanding us to love. If you do not see the church as the bride of Christ... If you view it as a secondary importance, if you scoff at your brothers and sisters, begrudging them for not being more missional, then you have missed a piece of the heart of God. He loves his bride, and he has ordained that the world would know what Christ is like by the way we in this room love one another. 
I know there are churches and people that are neglecting the call to share the gospel, and I'm not talking about that right now, and that's worthy of a whole sermon another day. There are tons of books and seminars on how to love people outside of our doors, which are good, but so much of the scripture is commanding us to focus on loving the people who are in the doors of the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no lone wolf Christian. God has built our love for him and for each other into the success of us spreading his love around the world. You ignore the importance the scriptures place on this gathering and the love that we must share, then you are ignoring the nations. We are the only people on the planet who know this love. Love that is defined by laying our lives down for the good of others. And though we have passed out of death into life, this love is still a bit foreign to us, is it not? We need each other so that it can mature and grow. This love cannot be reciprocated by the world. We cannot practice on the world. The world desperately needs it, but it doesn't understand it. The body of Christ is our training ground for missional love, and it's preparing us for an eternity of love. This is where we learn to love. And healthy churches that love each other always, and I mean always, export that love to places that don't have it. You don't have to worry about that. Places in the dark, places that don't understand it, who hate it because they hate God and they try to stamp it out. But you go to the nations without a robust love for God and his bride and your ability to minister will run out quick. And I say that with two years of experience of doing that. Love for the lost in a lost and dying world is insufficient for mission. But love for God, who is matchless in beauty, and love for his people who would be with him forever is fuel for the fire of loving a lost and dying world. It's like, have you ever lit a match? Have you ever lit a match while camping and then you try to light the campfire, but it goes out, you know, like you just didn't give it time. And then, so you light another one and this one you hold in your hand and you really let the wood kind of catch on fire. Have you ever let three matches at the same time and just watch it go, right? And like, you know that that is going to be sufficient for the work of lighting the campfire. The flame becomes more effective with time and with numbers. Our love becomes more effective as we take the time to obey God's command in his word to love one another. Jesus is love. He has shown us his love by dying and he has placed that love in us through the abiding work of his Holy Spirit. And our love, like ripples in a pond, starts with God, flows to each other, and then overflows to the world. If we don't love God, if we don't love each other, then we are not children of love but children of hate. Let's talk about that now, what it means to be children of hate. So 1 John 3, 12 starts like this. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If love, from our passage, from the text, the definition is defined as Jesus laying down his life for us, 
selfless concern for the glory of God through the salvation of the church brought about by his Roman execution, I know that's a pretty crazy definition for love, then hate should be understood as the opposite of that. Hate is self-love. Hate is self-preservation, the opposite of what we have received from Jesus. To To hate others is to love yourself ultimately. To view the world as existing for your personal joy and pleasure, moving towards humanity with an intent to take instead of give. Behind the harm of another is the desire to please ourselves. Hate is always self-motivated, and that is why it's so opposed to Jesus. Jesus gave us himself. The one who truly loves forgets their own life. That's what's been modeled for us. That's why the gospel is so remarkable. That's why you're here. Trust me, it's not because of me, right? It's not because of Nathan. It's not because of the real Matt Jones. We have the real Matt Jones, and it's not because of him. It's because the gospel's remarkable. It lifts our eyes from ourselves and places them squarely on Jesus. We're now full. We are a full and content people. There is no need to hate others by taking from them to please ourselves because we already have the better thing. I hope that's true of you. We have found the treasure and our priorities have changed. Image bearers are no longer murdered by our lust and our greed and our ambition, but they are viewed with mercy and grace as lost and as in need of a savior. Hating God and people is to be like Cain. Ignoring the gentle warnings from God. Do you guys remember that story? That he's just warning Cain, like, I see this. Don't you know what's happening? Don't do it. Don't give in to it. Sin, it's crouching. Giving in. Seeking to create our own, king, our own kingdom like Cain. That's what he's doing. Our own righteousness. Our own Garden of Eden where forbidden fruit is celebrated as good because just for a moment, like Cain, you feel like God. Power is wielded. Pleasure is achieved, your rule and reign is accomplished, but at what cost? This is why the mantra, love is love, is so dangerous. Don't get wrong, I'm not about to go after a community or anything like that, but like that concept, that's, that's on everything. I see it all over my neighborhood when I'm taking walks, and it's dangerous, and this is why. It sounds so right, but it cannot be more wrong. God has told us kindly in his word that he is love, just like Cain, God is whispering to us. He is saying, no, don't get it wrong. When we ignore these truths and worship love as God, then, we, then what we produce is not love but hate. It feels right for a moment, but it is an elevation of appetite over people. What was the result of Cain's hate? The blood of Abel on his hands, but not just that. His soul wandering further away from God, further away from from the garden, in the darkness, until he finally met his death. This is hate. Came came by it, honestly. (laughs) He received it from his mother and his father, and he has passed this on to us. That's why we need the new life of verse 13. That's why John is preaching to us. That's why Jesus had to die and why we must die to our old self. What a tragic scene when God comes back to Cain after the murder and says, where's your brother? What does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? What do you think God's answer to that was? Yes. You are your brother's keeper. 
Adam and Eve were supposed to keep each other. Cain and Abel were supposed to keep each other. Humanity was created to glorify God by keeping each other, fixated on his goodness and his glory and his beauty, enjoying creation instead of worshiping it. So we could be, instead of hating each other, instead of hating God, we could be in love and in peace and in harmony. But instead, we have despised the wisdom of God and chose to love ourself over love of him. And the effects of that are everywhere. Everywhere. It affected every part of your week. From conception, apart from Jesus, we are enemies of God. Unable to truly love. Unable to truly give. Unable to truly be with him. Imagine, imagine being the disciples when Jesus said stuff like this. Matthew 5 starting at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. It makes no sense to us. Like if you're in here going like, oh yeah, I could do that. God bless you. This makes no sense. The disciples knew that it was impossible because they knew themselves. All of them were posturing, right? They were trying to sit at Jesus' left hand and right hand. They were, should we, what should we do with these guys? Should we call fire down from heaven? Like, they were trying to use Jesus. So much of what Jesus said in his ministry was impossible. Loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, don't lust, don't hate, don't love money, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and so on. But it gets worse. Or better, I guess it depends on how you say it. Look, look at 46, how you look at it. For if, those, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What? You must love perfectly like God does. Be perfect like God. This is remarkable. It's crazy. So why did John not repeat that in our text tonight? Why is John, 1 John, not about loving your enemies perfectly like Jesus commanded? Why is so much of the New Testament written to the church for the church? I think it's because we were the enemies Jesus was talking about. The 12 disciples at that point in history were a part of the world's enmity with God. They needed Jesus' blood as much as the Gentile tax collectors did, as much as you and I do. He's highlighting our need for his own perfection, I think is what Jesus is saying. You need my perfection. He is the one who loved his enemies. He is the one who prayed for them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He is the one who had enemies. I don't have any enemies. What's my point? My point is we were the enemies. And I'm, I'm still working through some of this. Like, I'm, I was writing this week and I just felt struck by the Lord. Like, what is going on? When Jesus gave these commands, he was stating that what he was doing, he was loving his enemies, though every fiber of our existence was against him. If Jesus only loved those who loved him, then he would not have died for the sins of the world. Perfection is his and his alone, and we are being made perfect, but no human can say that they have been perfect, right? Or they've ignored the first chapter of this book completely. I've always struggled with thinking of lost people as my enemy. When Jesus tells me to pray for my enemies, I'm like, 
okay, who are they? Even if they hated me or wanted me dead, it never sat right in my heart until I realized that I was once a part of the enemy forces against God. I hated God. And every fiber of my existence was opposed to him until the moment he gave me new life. That was my salvation. And that's why salvation is a miracle. Like, this is not a change of mind, but a change of your spiritual DNA. You have essentially been changed if you are in Christ. Darkness to light. Thank you, John. Death to life. Thank you, John. We now collectively sit at God's table, no longer foes, but sons and daughters of the king. So just to be clear, I want to make sure I'm clear in this. I do believe we have an enemy. I do believe the devil is our enemy, and I do believe that he is real, he exists, and he is against us. But I don't think people are our enemies. If we consider people our enemies, but begrudgingly love them because Jesus makes us, have we really passed from death to life? Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our fight is not against people, right? That's what our text is saying. The world hates us. In their eyes, we are evil. In their eyes, we're judgmental. We're closed-minded, and we must be stopped. Apart from Jesus and his love, we would be just like them. Their hatred of God should be like a mirror that's being held up to our faces, reminding us of who we were before Jesus saved us. This should produce gratitude and worship and love that cannot be counterfeited. They don't know God. How could we hate them for that? They don't have Jesus. How could we consider them our enemies? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says it like this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is why hatred and the Christian life cannot coexist. It doesn't work. The only reason we believe the gospel is because the light of Christ has shone on us. The only reason we can love is because Jesus has loved us first and he is love. The Pharisees thought they were doing well because they weren't murdering. Jesus said, don't even hate. You cannot hate what you're willing to lay your life down for. Okay, so because of Jesus, because of all that we've been discussing this evening, every relationship that we have has changed. How we relate with God has changed. How we relate with each other has changed. And how we relate with the lost and dying world around us has changed. So let's look at that. Let's look at relationships. This goes back a little bit. Let's read 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So God has gifted us his love. We were once dead and against him, but now we are alive and in him. Like we've been talking about over the last few weeks, we are becoming like him. The things of the dark that used to be appealing are fading away. The lusts of our flesh are now becoming repulsive to our eyes as they adjust and we see the world and what it offers, what it really is. It's garbage compared to knowing Jesus is how Paul puts it. It's remarkable to me that verses like 1 John 3, 19, 22 tend to always discourage me. I don't know why. When I get to this point, I'm like, oh no, here it comes. 
I get confused. I feel condemned. This is what it says. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. When we read statements like this, I think, I mean, like this is me personally, I I go back and revert into kind of my old flesh, my old way of thinking. I examine my life and think, do I measure up? Is my heart condemned? How can I make sure my heart is not condemned? What does it feel like? Do I have confidence before God or am I just deceived and I'm I'm just kind of walking around as a non-Christian who thinks he's a Christian? What can I do to make sure that I'm not condemned? Like reading the Bible more, uh, maybe uh, becoming a missionary or sharing the gospel? That's not what this passage is about. That's not what John is describing. Here's the question you should ask yourself. What do dead hearts feel? I'm asking. What do dead hearts feel? Anyone brave enough? Nothing. Nothing. Because they're dead. Right? Like when I read this, I'm like, oh my goodness. I have a heart that's alive. Like when I'm convicted and feel condemned because of my sin, we should be confident that God is greater than the lingering sin we give into. He knows everything. He knew you were going to sin. He knew what you were going to do. And still Jesus' blood cries, it is finished on your behalf. Praise God for a heart that condemns and a God who is bigger still. Praise God. But it's not always like that. And that's the encouraging part of the Christian life. What a joy it is for believers to grow in sanctification like it's talking about in the second half of this verse, not based on what we have done, but based on what Jesus has done. When we keep his commandments, we are trusting God. And when we trust God, our love and our affections for him grow. When our love and our affections for him grow, we begin to love what he loves. And what does he love? His bride. He loves his people. We are the sheep of his pasture, like we sang, like Nathan talked about. We are the bricks of his temple. We are the parts of his body. Don't get me wrong. Jesus loves this whole world, but he died for his bride. He died that he might have us, that none of us would be lost. Jesus is, I don't want to say hell-bent, but he's hell-bent on getting his people. None of us will perish 1 John 3, 17 says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in death and truth. Church, our words should lead to action and our talk should be seasoned with truth. You can say whatever you want, but your actions reveal what's true. You can say you love Jesus, but do you love what he loves? You can say you're part of the body of Christ, but is he really the head of your life? Is he really, are you really an active part of his body? How do you even quantify that? Well, I think you quantify it by asking the question that we've been asking this whole time that scripture continues to ask. Do you love God and do you love people? We've passed from darkness to light, from death to life, from enemies of God to children of God. All of our relationships have changed. God, our former enemy, has become our king And the Christians in this sanctuary and all around the world have become our family. I pray that no need in this body has gone unmet. 
One day when we are with God, that will be true, absolutely. All of our needs will be met perfectly. Until then, we are called to love what he loves. And we are called to do it in deed and in truth. Your needs are my needs. And my needs are your needs. I have no doubt in my mind that if I have a need in my family and it arose, you would come and meet it. I would only need to make my needs known and you would be knocking my door down. It's already happened numerous times and our needs weren't that great. We were just sick and you brought soup. You'd be knocking my door down. And hear me, that's part of loving the body. Not just meeting needs, but making your needs known. We've talked about the importance of living in the light, being people of the truth. If you are struggling in silence and need help, whether it be physical or spiritual, emotional, financial, mental, love us by letting us help you. Love your gospel community by giving them the joy of serving you with the love of Christ that they have received. The world says strength is found within, right? It says you don't need anybody. You depend on yourself. But the gospel says that strength is found in Jesus and you are completely dependent on him. So learn to lean on Jesus's body, the church. Let us be your strength. When we do this, we're strengthened and the world notices. They see it. They can hate us for our beliefs and creeds and stances, but they can never silence the love of the cross. Jesus was so confident in that truth that he declared that this is how the world's going to understand his love, by the way we love one another. The world, it craves something different, always. Craves something unique. Trends change, morals change, educational strategies change, governments change. Not because the world is progressing, but because it's blind. It grasps at what it believes to be life, only to find that it's death. It wanders in circles, believing that it's climbing mountains. The enemy of this age has blinded their eyes and filled their hearts and minds with counterfeit truth, counterfeit fiction, and counterfeit love. If the world is always changing, we must be steadfast in our love for one another. That's why our genuine truth, genuine conviction, genuine love are so important. That's why John wrote a whole book about us loving each other. That's why the command is not to love your enemies, but to love the body of Christ. Because if you can't love each other, how can you even consider or think about loving a lost and dying world? If we can't meet our needs within this body, how could we ever even attempt to move towards the complicated and difficult needs that are in our city? This is God's good design. And this is how you know the love of the church you are in, if it's real or counterfeit. If it's fueled by the power of God, it always abounds. So don't, don't worry. I am all about this city knowing Jesus. I am all about this world knowing Jesus. If we are loving each other with God's love, it is going to flow out of, our, out of our building. If our love, is our love willing like Jesus, our older brother, whom we share our spiritual DNA with, to leave its privileged status like he did with the Father and the Spirit and all his comfort to die for a world that is lost? Does our love abound and overflow? Is it abundant enough to care for the body of Christ and the lost world around you? Listen, if there's not enough love, then it's not Christ's love. Think of the manna in the desert. Think of the loaves and the fish. Like Jesus is not in short supply of anything, especially love, because he is love. So, so what does this all mean? Again, it means love God and love people. Just like the garden, just like the desert, just like the promised land, just like the temple, just like the church in John's day, and just like the church in our day, and just like eternity. 
Do you delight in God's commands? Do you desire to please him? Does your love for the people around you in this room overflow with generosity and care? Then you are abiding in God's light and love. Does your delight happen in the darkness? Do you desire to please yourself? Does your hatred for people overflow into murder? Does your love for money cause you to shrink back from caring for the needs of the people in this room? Then you are abiding in darkness and in hate. And what a wonderful place to be. I call you out of that darkness. Like if you are more marked by the darkness and by hate, Jesus is for you right now. This, he, you, I was his enemy. Every, every person in this room was once an enemy of God until God in his kindness shone his light on our hearts. And he may be doing that now. I pray he is. If you don't know him, I pray that this message of love that flows from a cross that you deserved instead of Jesus, I pray it affects you. I pray that the darkness becomes intolerable and you run to the light for kindness. That's what God is calling us all to. This is how John ends our text this evening. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment and abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is such remarkable truths. What a good God we serve to give us this family. Note the plural pronouns that John is using. I'm gonna give Nathan a shout out here. This whole time he's been saying we, us, y'all, one another. Texas has one thing right. No longer... Is he talking about little children? But he's talking about the church. Like he is talking about this gathering. I pray this will continue to be true of us. I pray our relationships with God individually and collectively would continue to abound in love for one another. It must. I pray this will continue to be true of us. And I pray that our condemned hearts over time would produce confidence before God because we have passed from death to life. And the spirit of God now dwells in us, teaching us to love what God loves each other. And I pray that our love would grow in such a way that it spills over into this city, over into this world. It goes after those who hate us. It goes the extra mile. It endures the shame and judgment of the world that those who remain in death might be resurrected to new life. The enemies of God might become sons and daughters just as we have been made. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, we love you and with what's been taught from your word and with what we've understood, we know that that love means we die to ourselves because you are worthy of all honor and worship and praise. Father, we hate sin. We hate sin because it keeps us from honoring you. It causes us to love and harm those that you created in your image for your glory. Lord, would you help us to love rightly? Would you help us to trust you because of the work of Jesus on our behalf? Would you make us new? Would you cultivate love in this body that is so real and so pure and so, I mean, just so opposite of what we as humans know and understand that the world would be attracted to it? Would you use Christ Church in Albuquerque to meet the needs of this body? Would you use it to meet the needs in Albuquerque? Would you use it to meet the needs of all the people around the world who have yet to hear the gospel of truth? God, would you be honored and glorified and magnified in this world? We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.